we are supposed to approve of someone else's beliefs or lifestyles, no matter what they're like. Like, I believe in tolerance, and tolerance is when there are people who believe differently than I do, and I'm going to treat them with love and with respect. People that act differently than I do, I'm going to treat them with love and respect. But our world says it's the height of arrogance to actually tell someone they believe the wrong thing, or that they're acting the wrong way. G.K. Chesterton said, Tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. But God has called us to be men and women of conviction. Yet parts of us want to say, you know, keep your opinions to yourself. But I was thinking about that philosophy. And if, let's say if that wouldn't actually last very long. Because if you say to someone, keep your opinions to yourself, you're no longer keeping your opinions to yourself. And if you decide that you're actually going to keep your opinions about keeping your opinions to yourself, to yourself, then it's going to be really hard to do that because if you don't say something, then people aren't going to be able to keep their opinions to themselves. Even that requires you to speak up. So if we're going to make a difference, we have to say something. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 16. And we're at the point in Jesus' life where people are pretty impressed with him. They realize that he's not just a rabbi, he's not an ordinary rabbi, but this man is something special. Peter has seen him calm a storm. He has seen him feed thousands of people with just small little morsels of food. He has seen him heal people. He has seen him teach in amazing ways. And they realize that this Jesus is something more than just a rabbi. And then they also realize that he doesn't just say something. He doesn't just teach about a certain way to live, but that he has backed that up with his life. In 1 Peter 2.22, Peter wrote, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. So Peter is looking at a guy who's the real deal here. But all of this leads up to that point of conviction in his life. And that's what we're going to witness here in chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you notice the first way that Jesus asks the question, he says, Who do people think that I am? Like, what's the general consensus of the public out there? What do they think of me? Like, I know there are all kinds of different ideas and ways that people are thinking about me. But then Jesus gets more personal with the next question. And he says to Peter, who do you personally believe that I am? So now it's not who do others think I am, but what do you think about me? So we're going to look at Peter's life, and we're going to see some ways that we can actually have an influence on the people around us and make a difference in their lives. The first thing we have to understand is that a conviction is based on a personal decision. In many of us, 
perhaps unknowingly, have formed our beliefs, our values, our convictions of what is right and wrong, and we base them upon popular opinion. Like we determine what our values and beliefs are going to be when we hear what everybody else has to say. We read the polls, we pay attention to surveys, and our values and beliefs reflect what we hear. And Francis Schaeffer calls this the 51% morality. And that's the fact that whatever the majority thinks, then we have a tendency to go along with it. And have you ever been a part of a group and someone in that group has sent an email, it's a question to everyone else in that email group, and you've been one of the last ones to chime in with your response. And do you go back to the original email and form your opinion based on that original question? Or do you go to the last email, or maybe even read through everyone else's responses, and then you make your response based on the majority? And we've done that a lot in our lives. And as Christians, we need to be prepared to have convictions, because we're becoming more and more in the minority all the time. And one issue could be abortion. We pray that as a church, God will help us to reach out to the women that are thinking about having an abortion, to reach out to the women that have already had an abortion. And we do it with love and with grace, yet we believe that it's wrong. But as soon as we say that, there might be some people who feel uncomfortable and are thinking, well, you know, that's a political issue. That's not something that we should be bringing up in the church. But really, that is a biblical issue. And it's first and foremost a, a biblical issue. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of preference. It's a biblical conviction. And we have to have the conviction to stand against it. The alternative is to say nothing, and everybody is comfortable, nobody gets upset, but no one has the opportunity to make a difference. A conviction is also not based on past traditions. But for many of, it, when, for many of us, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our faith, we've actually based our opinions on our religious heritage. And when Peter is approached by Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, you know, what did your parents believe, Peter? He doesn't ask if their grandparents were Christians or not. But if someone asked me that, I could say, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather, John Stevenson, helped start the first Christian church on PEI. It was in New Glasgow. Like, I could go back through this big heritage. But that's not what I build my faith upon. And that's not what Peter is asking about here. He's not saying, did your parents have you christened as a baby? But he's asking, have you made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life? And so like the Apostle Peter, and like the four people back in the month of December, and most recently like David Barkhouse, whose funeral we had on Friday, all of these people had come to a point in their life where they made a personal statement, where they made a personal commitment of their convictions. And we say, when we do that, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He's my Lord and He's my Savior. Now there's a big difference between some of the ideas that people have about Jesus. And in Matthew 16, 14, 
Here's what we read. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Peter, he's got enough conviction here, and in verse 16 he says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you know what? It's one thing to say that in front of the disciples. That's a friendly crowd. Like these guys have been with Jesus for three years. It's so easy to say it there. It's another thing to say it when the pressure's on and you're with a group of unbelievers and they're mocking you about your faith. It's one thing to carry a Bible into worship on Sunday mornings, but it's a totally different thing to carry it with you to work or to school on Monday. It's one thing to bow your head and pray silently to yourself while here with other believers in the worship assembly, but it's a totally different thing to be at home and feel convicted to pray with your spouse, but you're still hesitating about speaking up and saying, can we just pray together? It's one thing to talk about the message with some friends out in the, the cafe while drinking a coffee after the service, but it's a totally different thing to bring that up at work or to bring that up at home. It's totally different. But the key in all of this is that we don't really know what our convictions are until they're tested. So our true convictions are going to come out when the pressure is on. That's when you see the real you, the real you coming to the surface. So we see this in Peter's life in the book of Acts. But Peter and John have been preaching publicly about Jesus. They've been teaching about him. And now the religious leaders are all in an uproar because this is going against what they believe. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, this is what happens. Then they, or the they would be the Sanhedrin, or the religious leaders, called them, Peter and John, in again. So this isn't the first time these guys are repeat offenders. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what we have here for Peter and John is the moment of truth. And last year we actually did a whole series of teaching on the moment of truth. We all reach that in our lives. So the whole teaching <coughs> series relied upon that point. And here is the moment of truth for Peter and John. They're standing before the very same people who arrested Jesus, the very same people who crucified Jesus, and now they're telling Peter and John to never speak about Jesus again. So it's a crunch time in their lives. But look, we're going to see what they do. We're going to find out what their real conviction is. Now maybe you've been in a moment like this, that your boss wants you to fudge some numbers. And things haven't been going that well with your job. Your job's kind of on rocky ground to begin with. This is a moment when the pressure is on for you. Or maybe your boyfriend says, I love you and we're going to get married someday. So it's okay that we do this. Like that's a time when the pressure is on and the real you will come out. Or maybe it's a college professor during the first class of your semester speaking up and saying, now there isn't anyone in this room that believes that God created the world, is there? That he's hoping to get through a semester without some Christian in his class challenging his teaching. But that is a moment of truth. That's when a true conviction will come out. So pressure has a way of doing that. It reveals our true beliefs. 
It's one thing to say it here, but boy, it's so different to go out there and actually say the same thing when the pressure was on. So here's what happened with Peter and John, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John replied to the religious leaders, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So Peter says, you know, we've just got to talk about this. We can't contain ourselves. It was his conviction. And here he was in the midst of this stress, but it was bringing his true beliefs to the surface. And that happens with us as well. When we're in a situation where we're stressed, where the pressure is on, our true beliefs sometimes come out. I have a couple of confessions to make. One is, I talk to the TV during sporting events. It's mostly at the referees for the call they just made against my team. Sometimes it's to the announcers because they don't see what was obvious and they're talking about something else. But I also tend to talk to other drivers when I'm out on the streets and the highways. And to be fair, I'm also very appreciative of what someone does when they do a good thing. Like, thanks, buddy, for letting me in here. Or, that's a good turn you made. Or, you were smart to stop on that yellow light and not try to proceed through there. Because that guy coming through the other way was jumping the green light. You know, he might have been in trouble. But then my wife said, you know, most of the time when I get stressed by another driver, when they do something that causes me to be stressed, I apparently say, what's that woman doing? And she said, that's what she said. <laughs> so this one vehicle, we pulled up beside it, it was a two-lane street, and uh, we looked over, sure enough, it was a man. But I said, no, that's just a man that has a hairstyle like you. My wife has short hair. But no, it was a man. But if you ask me, do I believe that women are worse drivers than men, I would say no. And is there any evidence to prove it? No, there isn't. We may actually find evidence to prove that women are safer drivers than men. But there's something that was put into my psyche at some point. And when the stress is on, all of a sudden there's no filter. And what we must truly believe comes to the surface. And I say, what's that woman doing? So when that pressure is there, when the storms of life are on you, when you feel that wind blowing really hard, that's when what you truly believe is going to come to the surface. So when those tests come back positive, do you really believe that God is in control? Or does that just sound nice? Or when you lose your job, do you really believe that God can provide? Or when you've been overwhelmed with the guilt of the sin in your life, do you believe that God can really forgive that? And will you trust Him that He's going to do that? Or is it just something you say, you know, God will forgive me, or I hope He will. Or when a loved one dies, do you really believe in the hope of heaven? Or is it just something nice to say in church, or maybe to make everybody feel better? Those moments of stress and pressure have a way of actually revealing what our true convictions are. Peter was under pressure, and he came through in an amazing way. And then we also need to note that a conviction is proven by how you live your life. Like it's one thing to say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but it's another thing to actually live that out. 
And what we ultimately see in Peter's life is that he makes that confession, but then he backs it up with his life. So Matthew 16 is a determining factor in his life. It, it was a determining factor for who he was as a person. It was a determining factor for the decisions that he would make in the future. It was the anchor on which he would rest for the remainder of his life. So as Christians, we can see that this is a real challenge for us. That we can say the right things. And for many of us, we know how to talk. But then it's not always reflected in our lives. But here's what happened for a lot of people. They had someone in their lives when they were young. It might have been a pastor. It might have been a teacher. It might have been a parent. It could have been a sibling. It could have been a neighbor or a friend. But these people seemed to say all the right things. They said amazing prayers. They quoted scripture. But then you discovered that the truth wasn't reflected in their life. So maybe some of you have had to overcome that. And instead of it actually making a difference in your life, what it actually has done is created an indifference in your heart towards spiritual things because you didn't see a life being backed up by the words and the prayers that were used. And that's because someone spoke up, but they didn't live out their faith. And George Gallup has done extensive research on this. And he says this is actually an epidemic in our society. And the first term that he uses to describe that is incongruent values. That's when you say one thing, say that you believe that one thing, but then you live in a different way. And you do it all the time. A man may say, my family is important to me. But then he doesn't take time off from work. He doesn't take time to read to his children. He doesn't take time to put them to bed. He doesn't take the time to go to their recitals and to their sporting activities. Yet he says, my family is important to me. Or someone else may say, my health is really important to me. And that's what I value. And then you ask them, well, do you exercise? Well, no, I don't really have enough time for that. Or maybe I'll start in February when all those New Year's resolution people kind of get out of the gym and there's a little more space there. Or then you ask them, do you eat correctly? Well, no, I'm not doing the greatest in that area either. Are you getting enough sleep? Well, there's a lot of stress at work and I just haven't been sleeping very well either. But then my health is important to me. Then let's talk about the area of finances. Like we say, financial security is really important to me. Then someone asks the question, well, do you have a savings account? Well, no. What about your budget? Well, that's kind of non-existent. But my financial security is really important to me. And that's what we do. We say one thing, but it's not reflected in our lives. It's one thing to say it, but it's actually a totally different thing to live it. But that's what gives its power. That's what allows us to make a difference in this world. It's one thing to walk to the front of this worship center and give your life to Christ, to speak up, to confess His name, because we're all friendly. This is a friendly audience. But it's another thing to do that on Monday morning. If we don't want to just be people that put religious plaques up on our walls like the Ten Commandments or maybe the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, and let that be the thing that speaks about our faith. That just isn't enough. 
We want to live the Ten Commandments in our life. A conviction does more than say, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. A conviction changes the channel when the Lord's name is being used over and over again in that way. A conviction does more than say, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. A conviction comes to church even when it may mean missing a game. A conviction does more than say you do not commit adultery. A conviction actually looks away. It doesn't allow lust to bring that temptation. A conviction doesn't flirt with a co-worker. A conviction does more than just say you should not steal. A conviction reports all our income and it gives a tenth of that back to God. A conviction does more than say you shall not murder, but a conviction doesn't hold grudges against people, even when revenge and hatred almost seem appropriate to the situation, but it forgives in that situation. What we want is congruent values. That's when what we say is backed up by the way we live our life. So you can do things like putting the Ten Commandments up on your wall in your living room. You can put a Jesus fish on the back bumper of your car. You can put, I'm in a relationship with Jesus on your Facebook page. You can do all those things. Those things are great. But you need to speak up and make sure that it's being reflected in your life. The call for us today isn't just to make another resolution as we start the new year. The call for us is to have a conviction, to let this conviction about Jesus determine the rest of our life. So will you have enough conviction to step up for him, and to step out for him, and to speak up for him? That each one of us is going to have an opportunity this week to speak to someone about Jesus. An opportunity to step up to the plate, basically. It might be at home, it might be at work, it might be with the people that we're involved with in recreation. It might just simply be in our neighborhood and going up to one of our neighbors and speaking up for Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus really died on the cross for you? Do you believe that you can be forgiven because of what he did and because of your faith in him? Do you believe that you are going to go to heaven and all of that, not because of anything that you've done, but simply because of your faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for you. If you believe that, then the Bible says you need to confess that with your mouth. It's not something that you keep to yourself, but that's something that you confess with your mouth. And as a result of that, others will know, others will have the opportunity to then become a part of that family as well. But you need to make a personal decision. And if you haven't done that, this morning is a perfect opportunity to just simply say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you to take control of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to be baptized into you. I want to be someone who has a genuine relationship with you. You can make that decision as we stand together and sing. But maybe you've already made that decision. And this needs to be the week for you to stand up for Jesus, to stand up for the conviction that you have about him. Please stand, Jesus.